Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Chapel Southeast Podcast. Thanks for joining us for our study through the book of Ruth. Ruth is a little book in the Old Testament, containing only 85 verses in total. But despite its short length, it contains not only the story of what God did in Ruth's life, but it also points to the beautiful redemption story that God is working in all of our lives. Grab your Bibles, and let's jump in. If you have your Bibles with you, I hope you do. Would you open them to the book of Ruth as we make our way through this short, wonderful story uh, just tucked away there in the old, early on in the Old Testament. So we're going to be in Ruth chapter 3 this morning. As you're turning there, let me just remind you, uh, maybe you're just joining us for the first time today. Um, the book of Ruth is, uh, the major theme I should say of the book of Ruth is that of redemption. Or uh, it uses the term like redeemer, or even more specifically, a kinsman redeemer. And the, the Hebrew word for that kinsman redeemer is goel. And this goel, the kinsman redeemer, was a son, or according to Deuteronomy 25, who had the responsibility, if his brother um, were to die, he had the responsibility to take his brother's family into his own, or his brother's wife into like his own family, and um, carry on the family name, begin a family with his, sis, his now widowed sister-in-law. Again, to provide for his brother's family, to carry on kind of his brother's legacy. And it's also a way that you would keep land, like family land, in the family. And so in chapter one, we saw that Naomi, she's in trouble. Naomi is, is one of the major kind of characters, female characters in our story. But her and her husband, Elimelech, they're living in the land of Israel. They're in Bethlehem. Uh, Bethlehem means house of bread. They decide um, in Israel, there was a, a huge famine that struck the land. And so they had a major decision to make. And so they decided, hey, we're going to move um, to Moab. And Moab is a, is a picture of the world. And so they cross the border, and what we find out very early in our tragic kind of beginnings is that Naomi's husband, Elimelech, dies. Her two sons that get married to Moabite women, and her two sons both die. And so we're left with Naomi. She's without a husband. She's now a widow without her two sons. And she's looking at her two Moabite daughters-in-law, and she says, hey, this isn't working out anymore. This is, this is, the, our plan is falling uh, apart. I have nothing for you. I have no money. We have no land here. We have no hope. I can provide nada, like nothing, zero and in fact, she says, man, because God has disciplined me, the, the hand of God has chastened me. She says, like, my name, don't even call me Naomi, which means pleasant, right, or lovely. She says, call me Mara, which means bitter. And so Naomi, also known as Mara, is in this hard season in her life. This season, no doubt, was probably unexpected. She probably didn't see um, her life turning out this way. The, these plans, this, this, um, this path wasn't in the cards for her. And so she comes to her senses while in Moab, and she's like, man, I don't belong in Moab. I don't belong in the washbowl. I don't belong in the world. Like, what am I doing here? And so she decides, I'm going to go back home. I'm going to go back to where I belong, back to Bethlehem, back to the house of bread. But she encourages, what we found in, in chapter 1, she encouraged her daughters-in-law to just to stay. Hey, just stay in Moab. Like, go home, go back to your parents, start over, go find a young guy, and just maybe begin a family with them. And then in chapter 1, we saw that Orpah 
one of the daughters-in-law, she decided, okay, I'm going to take you up on that. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to seek a new life here in Moab. But Ruth, the other daughter-in-law, decides, no, 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 I'm not going to stay in Moab. Like, I'm going to return with you to your homeland of Bethlehem, back to the house of bread. And it's essentially, we saw there, Ruth has this conversion of faith. She was at this crossroads in her life. And, and she's like, I'm not going to stay in Moab, right? I'm not going to stay in the washbowl. I'm not going to stay in the world anymore. anymore. I'm going I'm to go find something else. Or someone else. And she leaves Moab. She denounces the gods of Moab. Remember Chemosh, the god of the Moabites. And she decides she's done serving Chemosh. And what we find is that she embraces and she begins to serve the one true God, the God of Israel. Right? She says, she, she looks at her mother-in-law Naomi. She's like, hey, your God will be my God. She's, she's embracing Yahweh, and as they come back to Bethlehem, Naomi and Ruth are starting over. They have nothing in their name. They have no job, no home, no bright future. And last week in chapter 2, we saw them be, um, start to experience a series of just so happens. You remember? Just, just so happens. We looked at those last week. And as they experience these just so happen events, they kind of make you pause, or they should, and go, wait a minute. Wait a minute, like something else is going on here, right? Like for Ruth, we saw last week, sorry, I gotta drink some water, sorry. But Ruth, we saw it just so happens, right? She's poor, she has no food, and so she's like, I gotta go glean, and we're not gonna get into gleaning, but essentially it was like the welfare system of Israel. And so she, out of all of the fields, right, it just so happens, out of all the fields that she could have chosen to glean, she just so happened to choose Boaz's field, right? And it just so happens that of all the fields that this rich guy Boaz owned, he just so happened to be at that field on that day, at that time when Ruth happened to be there. And of all of the servants that were out there gleaning, Boaz just so happened to notice Ruth. And it just so happens that, again, out of all the people in the land, Boaz, again, just so happened to not just be a relative of the family, but a close relative. Now, Naomi, who has no doubt struggled in her relationship with God, whether in disappointment or in sin, whatever you want to call that, even if it just was for a season, but through tough circumstances, through this challenging season, it seems like, though, that God's got our attention. God's captured her, her affection again. And isn't that always the case in, like, in our lives? I don't know about you, but I know that this is how the Lord works in my life when it's very rare in seasons of, of just ease and seasons of whatever you want to call that joy, comfort, prosperity, fill in the blank. It's in those seasons, man, that I just, it's so easy just to fall asleep to like our dependency upon the Lord. But the Lord uses seasons of suffering. Seasons of difficulty, and they're not without purpose. They're not without reason or cause, but he allows these, these trials in our lives to wake us up. Maybe you're going through a trial this morning. I want you to know that it's with purpose that God is using them in our lives to draw us back to himself. 
And so Naomi, she's fully awake to the things of the Lord. She's putting all of the pieces together we saw. And as she's listening to Ruth kind of recap all of these just-so-happen events from the day, she's realizing, man, these aren't just coincidences, right? Like, these aren't just accidents. Rather, she's starting to realize maybe this is the providential hand. That's what we looked at last week. The providential hand of God leading them, caring for them, guiding them throughout their lives. And so we saw that amazing story of just God's provision using the kindness and generosity of Boaz to care for and to provide for Ruth and Naomi. And through it all, we saw right at the end, Naomi begins to worship again. Bitter becomes pleasant again. And she begins to see the faithfulness of God that even though she might have journeyed to Moab, catch this, even though she might have spent some time out in the world, was in places that she didn't belong to be in or needed to be in, that that aged her, that ruined her, that she experienced loss in, that God, she started to see that God was still good. Through it all, God was still faithful. Why? Because she deserved it? Absolutely not. But because God is merciful. And I want you to know that this morning. God is merciful. We talked briefly last week about that Hebrew word hesed, which describes a a loyal love. And from this loyal love, we know flows compassion and mercy. And we see God's hesed being poured out upon these two widows. And so the question is, well, what's what's next in life for them? What's the next season going to hold for these two ladies? Well, this morning in chapter 3, we're going to see Naomi start creating a plan. And that's where we're at in our story. Look at verse 1 of chapter 3. And then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you that it may be well with you? Now, real quick, we don't know how much time has passed from the end of chapter 2 to the beginning here of chapter 3. But what we do know is that as Ruth is providing for and caring for, she's not only just caring for herself, we saw her last week, care for Naomi, provide for Naomi. But here we see this is not just a one-sided relationship, right? This is like a mutual relationship. Naomi loves Ruth. Naomi wants the best for Ruth. Naomi wants a bright future for Ruth. And so she says here, shall I not seek security for you? Now the Hebrew word for security is translated, I love this, as rest. Shall I not seek rest for you? Like, you're out striving. You're out working. You are, you are exhausted in life just trying to survive. And Naomi's just saying, Ruth, shall I not provide rest? Should I not seek rest for you? Or security in the home. And she's referring to of a new husband. One, a home like Naomi you, or Ruth, you, desi- you, you deserve to be cared for. You deserve to be loved and to be at peace and to have rest. In verse 2, it says, Now, she continues, Now is not Boaz our kinsman with whose maids you were? Behold, he winnows barley at the threshing floor tonight. Wash yourself, therefore, and anoint yourself and put on your best clothes and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. And it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies and you shall go and uncover his feet and lie down and then he will tell you what to do. Now, let's pause right there. Let's just acknowledge the elephant question in the room, okay? (laughs) What? (laughs) 
When I thought about Ruth, I, I didn't really think about this chapter when I'm like, yeah, this is going to be great to teach on, right? I'm like, <laughs> what is going on here? <laughs> Naomi, what kind of plan, what kind of books are you reading? Like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> but, but as we go through this, I want us to see that Naomi recognizes there's a dance between God's sovereignty and love here, right? There's a, there, there, there's, 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 a da- there's a delicate dance here. But God has, it is at work. She knows that God has provided a, a potential for that rest. God has provided a potential for security for them, a potential home for them. And she says here, now it's not Boaz our kinsman. In other words, she's, she's, reminding, she's reminding Ruth, like, isn't Boaz like our relative? He's our, our, a potential Goel. Remember, remember that. We're not just finding any stranger on the street here. Like this, is, this could be God's plan. And so she knows that Boaz, man, the hard worker that he is, and uh, he's going to be working tonight at the threshing floor. Whether he's working or he's just providing security because of robbers and thieves, I don't know. But she gives Ruth here a list of things to do. And it's really interesting. And I'm not going to read too much into this. But she says, go wash yourself. Not a bad advice. Go anoint yourself. Not a bad advice. Put on your best clothes and go and meet him at the threshing floor. The question is asked, though, why would she put on her best clothes? Like, what is she trying to accomplish here? I want you to keep in mind that in all the times that Ruth has interacted with Boaz, she has been wearing her work clothes at best. Right? Remember, she's been gleaning in the field. She's been gathering among the sheep. So at best, she's wearing her work clothes. But at worst, she might still be wearing her mourning clothes. Not her like mourning, like pajama mourning. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like grieving. She might be, her, she's a widow. Her husband has died. And so it could be, I'm not, I don't want to read too much into this, but it could be in what Naomi is saying is like, Ruth, it's time. Like, it's, it's time. We've mourned long enough. It's time to, to take off your mourning clothing. It's time to put on your best clothing. Go wash yourself. Go, go anoint yourself, which means spray some perfume, like smell good. Um, put on your best clothes and go and meet him. And that's what she does. She goes and she meets him. She, she cleans up. She does her hair. She puts on some makeup and she goes out. The question is, again, what is she hoping to accomplish with this plan? What is, what, is, what is the end goal here? We know he's a close relative. He has the opportunity legally to take her brokenness, to take her state of destitution and in an instant raise her up. So she knows that he has this opportunity. She knows that he legally can, he financially can, but she doesn't know heart-wise, will he? Will he do this? Remember, Boaz is under no obligation. According to the Levite law, it was the brother of the deceased who was obligated. But both brothers died. There was no other brother. There weren't any left. And so this close relative was not necessarily under a super like, big obligation, but he did have opportunity. And so in verse 5, Ruth says, walking in faith, and she said to her, All that you say I will do. Now, again, let's just be real here. This is a risky encounter. <laughs> I mean, I just like to play out like how this could have been. I do that a lot in life. I probably overthink everything in life. But I'm like, let's just play this scenario out for a second. This is a young widowed gal, right? She's accused of something we're going to see in a little bit of, of, in verse 11 of something actually pretty incredible. She's accused of uh, by the, all the leaders in the city of being a woman of excellence. Now, that's an amazing reputation to have, right? 
Like she's a woman of excellence. It's the same word actually in Proverbs 31 where the author writes, an excellent wife who can find for her worth is far more above jewels. The same word is used later in that chapter where it says, many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. But to be single, to be a single woman and to put yourself in this position where at night you're at the threshing floor, listen, the accusations could fly. There's other people around. The accusations could fly. Your reputation, and she has a good one, could get like damaged. Your intentions could get misunderstood. Your godliness, your character could be put to the test. And you're setting yourself up to be accused of something, maybe even something super inappropriate. Now, I bring all of that up because it wouldn't be the first time in Scripture that we see something like that. If you remember, if you, if you remember the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 38, there's an awful, awful story about Judah's daughter-in-law, Tamar. You guys remember the story? She decides one day, you know, a lot like this, she kind of blew through a lot of brothers, they all died. That's a different story for a different time. But she decides, she's kind of getting frustrated with her father-in-law for not giving her another one of his boys to, to carry on kind of the family. And um, so she decides, okay, I'm going to dress up like a prostitute. And that's what she does. She goes, dresses up like a prostitute. Her father-in-law Judah picks her up and they just follow that story through. It's a terrible story, right? She kind of manipulates him. And it's just this where you just see sin and it just reeks of just brokenness. And in Song of Solomon, I think of the woman uh, in the book says, why should I be like one who veils herself by the flocks of your companions? Like in other words, she's saying, I want to spend time with you, but I don't want to spend time with you like the other ones, those other girls, right? And Ruth here, she's putting herself in a situation where she could be accused. She could be accused in this moment of being like one of those other girls, one of those other stories. But listen, she is on a mission to humbly, don't forget that she's on a mission to humbly request from Boaz something that she knows will change her life. She's not looking to demand. She's not looking to manipulate. She's looking, and we're going to see it, to humbly request. Now, it is interesting, I will say this, that she goes to meet him in verse 4. She uncovers his feet. Did you see that? Kind of a strange little verse there. Why would you uncover his feet? Here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean anything inappropriate, as some have read into this. In fact, throughout the entire Old Testament, the idea of covering someone with your garment is the idea of a marriage betrothal. In fact, it's in Malachi chapter 2, that's where God famously says, like, I hate divorce, right? But he also says, as well as, in the same breath, a man that covers his garment with violence. And so it's that idea of this covering yourself with a garment, it's referring to a marriage situation. And so what she's doing by uncovering his feet is making her intentions very, very clear. Like, hey, I'm interested. Like, I'm interested. Not being with you inappropriately, but I'm interested in marrying you. She's, a, she's in essence, like proposing to him, right? If you're interested, I'm interested. David Guzik, in his commentary, said this, that Ruth had to claim a right, or Ruth came to claim a right. Boaz was her goel, her kinsman redeemer, and she had the right to expect him to marry her. But Naomi wisely counseled Ruth to not come as a victim demanding her rights, but as a humble servant, trusting in the goodness of her kinsman redeemer. And she said to Boaz, I respect you, I trust you, and I put my fate in your hands. That's what she's doing here. And I love that. And in verse 6, it says, so she went down to the threshing floor. 
and did according to all that her mother-in-law had commanded. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And she came secretly and uncovered his feet and lay down. And it happened in the middle of the night that the man was startled and bent forward. And behold, a woman was lying at his feet. Now it's interesting that she graciously shows up here at the threshing floor to, to uncover kind of his feet undercover, if you will, secretly, and that leaves the question then, why did she go at night? Why would she risk these accusations of something scandalous? Like, why didn't she go the next day at lunch? We all know they've eaten lunch together once before. Why didn't she go then, right? Well, it's interesting. Let me say this. This is just a a maybe, a plot, like a plausible kind of scenario. It's in, in Deuteronomy 25, um, we, we find out that if a brother, if he denied the right to be the redeemer uh, to his now widowed sister-in-law, this is what would happen. Deuteronomy 25, verse 8, then the elders of his city shall summon him and speak to him. And if he persists and says, I do not desire to take her, then his brother's wife shall come to him in the sight of the elders and pull his sandal off his foot and spin in his face. And she shall declare, thus it is done to the man who does not build up his brother's house. In Israel, his name shall be called the house of him whose sandal is removed. Now, kind of some Trash talk has improved over the years. <laughs> oh, you. Oh, your sandal was removed, you. Like, I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Me? No. Uh, long story short, the kinsman redeemer, if the kinsman redeemer rejected to do the right thing, in essence, what it's saying in Deuteronomy is that he would be publicly shamed. He would be shamed publicly. Now, again, that was for the brother. Boaz wouldn't technically fall in those terms, but you could suggest this, that Ruth, out of respect, understands the reality of this situation, the reality of what's going on here. Again, she is a Moabite woman. She's a widow. She has nothing. She's now the daughter-in-law of, of Naomi, the widow who has nothing as well. She's gleaning in the fields of this guy, Boaz, whose name, remember, is strength or standing in strength. Again, she has nothing to offer. And so in some ways, you can suggest that she might have gone to him in respect of the night to uncover his feet as a symbol of like, hey, I'm, again, I'm interested if you're interested, but if you're not interested, then I don't want to shame you in front of everyone. Like, I don't want to bring shame and humility. I don't even want the conversations in, in the city to even begin. Like, kind of like, I want, I want to have this conversation in secret, in private, and if you say no, we'll drop it. If you say no, well, I'll just I'll walk away. It'll just stay with us. And so in the middle of the night, she uncovers his feet. She's laying down at his feet. And we know that she's at his feet, by the way, because in verse 8, when he gets cold, he's startled. And he bends forward, and she's there. She's lying at his feet. So he wakes up, and he says in verse 9, Who are you? And she answered and said, I am Ruth, your maid. So spread your covering over your maid, for you are a close relative. She's asking him, she's like, would you be willing to spread your covering over me? As I've uncovered your feet, would you spread it over me? This, again, was the culturally relevant way to say, hey, I'm a widow. Would you take me as your wife? It's a very interesting. I would, I, 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 and I would be honored, like Ruth is saying, like if you would redeem me. 
Now you think some men in this situation would have taken advantage of this circumstance. In the dark of night, in the secret, um, just the secretness of night, other men might have used this opportunity as a, as a time to condemn her and just kind of um, just rebuke her harshly. Like, hey guys, look it over here. Look who, who's sneaking up on me. But Boaz doesn't do that. Boaz, we know, is a good man. He's a, he's a man of good character. He's a good judge of character. Boaz has, has watched Ruth. Boaz got the skinny on Ruth. Like she, he got the 411. He's eaten with her. He's heard a lot about her. And here in verse 10, we find him humbled by this. First he was startled, but now he's humble. He says in verse 10, then he said, may you be blessed of the Lord, my daughter. You have shown your last kindness to be better than the first by not going after young men, whether poor or rich. Like, what's he saying there? Like, look, Ruth is a young. We suggest probably in this passage, she's probably a very attractive gal who would have easily gone out and found a younger guy for herself. And, and, but you see, Ruth here, I just want to remind you, isn't just looking out for herself. Over and over again, she's, she's not just looking out for her own and what's hers, but to care for her mother-in-law, Naomi. She has just this great kindness that she has towards Naomi. And now Boaz says, you're taking that kindness that I've been witnessing to a whole new level. And now you're showing it to me. Like, and you want me to marry you? Like, he can't believe it. Um, He's like, man, you could have gone out and married like younger guys, maybe more attractive guys and all of those things. Like Boaz, like you don't have any obligation to me. He says in verse 11, now my daughter, do not fear. Like maybe she was nervous. Maybe she was kind of shaking. Do not fear. I will do for you whatever you ask. For all my people in the city know that you are a woman of, there it is, excellence. I love that. Now, when it says here, all my people in the city, some of your Bibles might say something different, but that literally means like all my people at the city gate. That's what he's referring to. Why is that important? Because we're going to find out next week that that's where business dealings happen. At the city gates. The city gate was their city hall, if you will. The city gate was the, the judicial benches of the land. We'll see that next week. The city gates is where all of the leaders of the city hung out. And what's interesting about that is that Boaz says, all of my people, everyone in the town square knows of your reputation, Ruth. Which means two things. It means number one, Boaz is also very known at the city gate, right? Which is another reason maybe she came to him at night. He was a very influential man in the community. But secondly, it means that this girl's reputation went before her. She's no longer Ruth, the lowly Moabitess to the community anymore. No, no, no. They see something in her that's different, that's unique, that stands out. She's a woman of excellence. And so he says here, man, all my people at the city gate, they know exactly who you are. Now, again, to borrow the phrase from last week, it just so happens Right? That this Boaz is a well-respected leader who's not just any relative, but a close relative. And who has influence in the city. And it just so happens that Ruth has lived a life in such a way where her reputation went before her. That word excellence means powerful or strength or moral strength. Good quality. She's a woman of integrity and virtue. And isn't that just something, just a side note, something that you want to be known for in life? 
Like I'm reading this about a, a woman, but I'm like, man, I would love to, to, to be known as someone who is, is, is strength, like strong, who has more, like moral strength, filled with integrity. Now there's two things happening though, and we're gonna see this in the next verse. Boaz is gonna say to her, Ruth, we have good news and we have bad news. And the good news, you've asked me if I'm willing, and I'm willing, like I'm in. The bad news is, is there's actually another dude who happens to be an even closer relative to you, technically. He's got first dibs kind of a thing. Now, side note, knowing who Boaz is, I think probably on the DL, Boaz probably could have just married Ruth and it would just like, no, it wouldn't have mattered, right? Boaz um, could have just got away with this. But I love that we see that Boaz is being obedient to the law of God here. And the law of God stated that this closer relative had the first opportunity to redeem Ruth. And so he submits to the Lord. I just love that. You just see his character. In verse 12, it says, now it is true. I am a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. Remain this night, and when morning comes, if he will redeem you, good, let him redeem you. But if he does not wish to redeem you, then I will redeem you as the Lord lives. And he says, lie down until morning. I love this. I, this is like one of the best parts of the story for me. Because what Boaz is saying to Ruth is, is essentially this. Good news, Ruth, you're getting redeemed today. You're getting redeemed. Like today is your day. God has provided for you. It's either this guy or it's me. One way or the other, you're getting redeemed. Can you just imagine what Ruth is feeling right now? Just that sense of relief, like almost that rest that the kinsman redeemer would, would provide for her. She's already starting probably to be like, I feel like I can breathe easier right now. Like I just, just imagine what Ruth is, is experiencing just hearing to Boaz say that, hey, today is your day. Verse 14, and so she lay at his feet until morning and rose before one could recognize another. Very dark still. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And so the word woman can also be translated as widow. So Boaz is protecting Ruth's character in this moment. And so what he tells her is, hey, stay here, relax, go to sleep. Remember, you're going to get redeemed today, like dream well, but, to, but, but I got you. Like, don't worry anymore. But before the sun rises, I'm going to get you out of here. I don't want anyone accusing you of anything inappropriate, anything immoral. And so sure enough, he gets her out of there, verse 15. Again, he said, give me the cloak that is on you. I love this, and hold it. Here he goes over and beyond again. And so she held it and he measured six measures of barley and laid it on her. And then she went into the city. Now, side note, the word measure is actually added into our text. The Hebrew text just says she, he gave her six barleys. And, and we're left like, well, what does that mean? Like just like six little like strands of wheat? Like what is that? <laughs> Depending on the, 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 the unit measurement that he used, um, a lot of commentators speculate that it was probably between 70 to 90 pounds that he is gifting to her right now, which is more than he gave her the first time. And I think, he, I think with this act of generosity, he is saying, your days, Ruth, of being empty are gone. Your days of being empty are over. And he gives her this precious barley as a sign, a gift to remind her, hey, Ruth, redemption is coming. 
Redemption is coming. Like I, I'm committing with this act to redeem you. In fact, I, I commit like to redeem you enough that I'm willing to give you this costly gift. In our culture, we don't give barley, right, men? Right? Like, what do we do when we want to propose and, and have that commitment, right? We save up forever. <laughs> we donate plasma, right? We sell kidneys and organs. Like we do all of these things just to buy like the smallest, largest diamond that we can afford, right? Why? As that guarantee. As like, hey, a, death, a brighter day is coming, right? And that's what Boaz is essentially doing here. And we'll, we'll talk more about this redemption process next week. But verse 16, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did it go, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done for her. And she said, these six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said, do not go to your mother-in-law empty-handed. So it wasn't just for Ruth, but it was for Naomi as well. And what we have is just this beautiful picture of redemption taking place. And then it ends with a promise, verse 18. Then she said, wait, my daughter, until you know how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest until he has settled it today. So Naomi, she knows this man, Boaz, he's a man of character. She said, hey, if he said today, it'll be today. Like we can trust in his character. We can trust in his promises. And they wait. And that's how chapter three ends. They wait for the redemption that is to come. As I've said before, every story in the Bible is all about Jesus. Jesus. We're going to close with this. Every time you read this story in Ruth and every time you, you think about Boaz, I hope, I pray that in the back of your mind somewhere you're like, Man, this kind of reminds me of someone. This kind of reminds me. Like I'm reading about Boaz and I'm seeing his character. Like I don't know. It makes me think of somebody. I pray it makes you think of Jesus. Because as I said a couple weeks ago, Boaz is a foreshadow. He is an Old Testament figure of our kinsman redeemer, Jesus. And this morning, we're going to close our time with communion. And if you don't have a communion packet, I'd encourage you just to raise your hand and the ushers will come bring you one. But we're going to close this morning with setting our hearts and our minds on the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that's what communion is for us. It, was, it is a reminder of what Jesus Christ has done. And I want to put it this way, that as, as Boaz, as we read this story with Boaz, not disregarding Ruth's state, right? She, he doesn't dismiss her, but he welcomes her, right? He, he, he cares for her. He decides to deal with her. So too, church, Jesus doesn't disregard us. So too, Jesus doesn't dismiss us and say, oh no, you're too much work, you're too messy, you're too dirty. No, no, he steps, the Bible tells us he steps into our mess with us and for us. And just as Boaz, or Ruth, I should say, humbles herself, and, and just as Ruth casts herself at the feet, taking that, that, that lowly position of a servant filled with humility, so too this morning, we cast our feet, or ourselves at the feet of Jesus. With a heart of humility, Ruth came ever so dependent on Boaz's mercy. So too, we come to the Lord this morning ever so dependent upon his mercy. We don't deserve any of this. Just as Ruth in our story came penniless, she came broke, 
She had nothing to offer. So too, you and I, we are penniless and we're broke. And before Jesus, we have nothing to offer. I think of the old hymn that, that sings, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. That's us. And Ruth was covered by Boaz's garment church. And you and I, if we've placed our faith in Jesus, we have been covered by the blood of the Lamb. Covered by the blood of the Lamb. This is a beautiful, beautiful thing. If Jessica, you want to just start playing as the worship team comes out. The last thing I want to think about this morning as we hold our elements, before we, before we go into this, before we receive the Lord's Supper, I can't help but think of Ruth's earlier comments to, or Naomi's earlier comments to Ruth when she's describing just the plan and, and she says, and this stuck with me last night, she says, go wash yourself. Washing is a sign of repentance. Listen, we don't wash ourselves to make God like love us more, okay? We don't, we don't do that to make us. God loves us, therefore, a holy God loves us, therefore we repent and we want to turn from sin. But listen, church, if we want to go deeper in our relationship with Jesus, the Bible over and over again, not just in one place, over and over again, says, wash yourself. Again, it's, a, it's this picture of repenting of our sins. And, and repenting simply means, again, to turn around, to, to stop going, to stop committing, to stop doing what you're doing, that it grieves the heart of God. Stop and turn towards Jesus. And that's the call for us this morning. I, I think that, that before we, we dive in, before we celebrate what Jesus has done, I think we need to examine. And that's what Paul would write to the Corinthians. Say, hey, first examine your own heart. If there's an area that you just need to be washed and cleansed, I think of David in Psalm 51 after just a dark season of sin in his life. He says, wash away my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin." Listen, church, where there is sin in our lives, we repent and we seek forgiveness. And because of the blood and, the, and of the lamb of Jesus, like we know there's hope for forgiveness. The Bible tells us that he will, now we don't have to beg him to do it, he will wash away our guilt and our shame. I love 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, it starts with that washing. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and he's just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so I just feel like we just, the Lord would have us start there. Start just humbling ourselves in a, in a place of searching our hearts. And if there's things in, a, in, in us that would keep us from just purity with the Lord that we would this morning seek repentance and knowing that we do the Bible tells us that he will remove our sin as far as the east is from the west never to be seen again and if that's you this morning I would encourage you before we eat and drink together just search your heart if there's sin repent of your sin Thanks for listening to this week's teaching. 
If you're ever in the Portland area, we would love to have you visit us for one of our services. For service times and location, or even just to learn more about the ministry of Calvary Southeast, you can visit our website at ccscportland.com. We hope you've been blessed by this week's teaching. Join us next week as we continue in our study together.